gonna be really hard to top this one, folks. How's it going? I'm your host, Alex Espinosa. Welcome to episode 22 of the Ricky Henderson of Podcasts, aka the greatest of all podcasts, aka the GOAP. Yeah, for episode 22, we have legend Ken Korak, the longtime A's play by play radio man. Grew up listening to him and Bill King, so an absolute honor to talk to Ken about his career. Uh, his relationship with Bill, talking about the A's, a whole bunch of stuff. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ricky Blog. But yeah, let's just get jump right into this one. For episode 22, is Ken Korak on the Ricky Henderson Podcast. Okay, and we are here with A's uh, radio legend. I think you're a legend now, Ken. Ken Korak, how are you doing, Ken? <laughs> legend is a euphemism for getting old. So, <laughs> thank you, Alex. It's good to be with you. Thank you so much for joining the Ricky Henderson Podcast. And, uh, and Ken, uh, we're just a couple of days away. The lights are about to take effect, you know, that's, that's pretty cool, right? <laughs> yeah, there's an evening, there's an evening opener. We're back to that this year. So they'll be taking effect pretty early on Thursday. Yeah. I'm curious. So that's kind of become your trademark call. You know, the lights are taking it or the lights are starting to take effect and they have taken effect. Um, when did you start doing that? When, when did you start dropping that into your broadcast? That's pretty sad if that's what you're known for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i love it it, it makes me feel well, like i'm in the ballpark I, think, <laughs> I don't even know for sure but i grew up listening to vince scully and he may have said that mm -hmm. i mean i don't know that i just snatched it out of the blue mm -hmm. alex but i started doing it when i was in the minor leagues okay. okay and my first job in the minors was up in ronard park mm -hmm. and my first full season i did a handful of games 27 games in in 81 and my first full season was in 84 and I would use it a lot and you know it was it wasn't the most lavish of press boxes so we were all <laughs> I can imagine yeah more in the PA announcer and a writer from the local paper and I was in there you know doing the games by myself so it became kind of a thing <laughs> like, when would, like when I would say the lights everybody in the press box would chime in with have taken effect uh, <laughs> that's pretty i funny. mean they seem to get a kick out of it but yeah you know that's a long time ago oh wow so this is like back in the 80s so this has been going around oh, for, yeah. for like you the know, early 80s going yeah, on yeah. for a long time yeah. <laughs> well yeah i mean i was gonna say so you grew up in southern california did you grow up listening to vin scully and chick hearn yeah. i mean were those your two guys you, you grew yeah up listening to? for sure and then bill when the sun went down and i know you, you were going to talk about bill later but yeah, when yeah, i was yeah. a teenager i started listening to bill do the warrior games in the in the 60s Mm -hmm. because KNBR would boom into LA. We lived in West LA at, at night because the signal was so great. But yeah, I oh, listened wow. to, to Vin all the time. Chick Hearn on the Lakers and Dick Enberg was a big influence mm -hmm. for me as well. He started out doing um, UCLA basketball uh, mm -hmm. when in the wooden heyday at 11 o'clock at replays at 11 o'clock at night. I guess actually he started doing the boxing from the Olympic auditorium. Mm -hmm. So I had a great, a great group of people who were uh, influences. And you could say that about Northern California, too, because I moved here over 40 years ago. And, and you had that, the, you know, the pairing, as I've said many times, Alex, of, of Bill and Lon in 81 was a stroke of genius by the A's. So uh, and we've been really fortunate here in California to have uh, so many incredible influences. Yeah. And do you remember like the first game you ever called? Was it back in high school? I mean, I know your professional career started in 81, but what about like in high school, college, what, like no, very, no. very, very first game you ever called? I'm trying, I'm curious. I don't, you remember. Remember. I don't remember my, my friends have always thought I was a little fruitcake, which I think is <laughs> established. 
Because <laughs> I was a basketballaholic and we would play full court basketball on the blacktop in elementary school after school. Uh-huh. And I would call the games as we were playing. <laughs> That's hilarious. Of course, yeah. they would tell me to shut up. And that, you know, <laughs> I don't think that deterred me a whole lot. <laughs> I, call, I started, I started uh, college at San Diego State. Mm-hmm. And then I finished up and graduated from Santa Barbara. But I did do some, uh, maybe four or five games for the little campus radio station at San Diego State. Okay. okay. So I would say that my first... My first true broadcast would have been a college game mm-hmm. at San Diego State back in the early 70s. Okay. And then and then did you keep that going with you? I saw you transferred to UCSB eventually and graduated from there. Did you keep that going over at with the Gauchos as well? I didn't. Oh, no, okay. I didn't. And I'm not even sure if they had a broadcasting major back then or because mm-hmm. I, I was a journalism major at, at at San Diego State. Then I switched majors when I went to Santa Barbara. So I didn't do any broadcasting at all. And then I didn't get my first job in the business until I was uh, 28. So there was a period of time oh, where wow. I was totally away from, I always kind of thought about it and thought that I would try to come back to it. But there was a kind of a, a several year stretch there where I was away from broadcasting entirely. What were you doing during those years from, I guess, like 22 to 28? What were you doing? I was a bum. Well, I didn't. It took, I, was the, I was on the almost six year plan to graduate. So I graduated a little shy of six years after I started. Okay. And then I worked a variety, kind of a myriad of, uh, you know, a variety of things. Uh, my first job, out, I don't know if anybody's that interested, but my first job out of college, I worked at a men's clothing store. Uh-huh. And then I worked at a treatment facility for delinquent kids. Oh, wow. And okay. at, a, at a group home. We had 24 or 28 kids in, oh. uh, I think, maybe four or five, half dozen homes in Santa Barbara. And I wound up uh, getting heavily involved in that. My mom, who wow. passed away pretty young, uh, you might be aware, was a psychiatric social worker. And so I had a kind of an interest in that. Mm-hmm. I think it may have been, uh, it, it may have grown out of her career. So I kind of did that for a while. And I had a really interesting time with that. But then I think that there's that reality sets in, Alex, where yeah. you better start <laughs> thinking about a career. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I always knew that I wanted to get into broadcasting, but I wasn't quite sure that, I, I guess what I was thinking was when I got into it or tried to get into it, I wanted to give it 100%, my total dedication and focus. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I was quite ready for that until I, I made the decision to go for it. And I was lucky enough to get a job up in uh, Petaluma at a small radio station, um, KTOB Radio, at Top of the Bay. Uh-huh. 1980, right? I think I saw it. Yeah, and that was in uh, the fall of 1980. And it was a, those stations are dinosaurs now, Alex, mm-hmm. be, because you get this incredibly well-rounded broadcasting education. I did everything under the sun. I mean, anything you can imagine doing in broadcasting, I did it when I was working for, for KTOB. So mm-hmm. uh, that was a fantastic. And I, I owe a real debt to so many people who were working up there back then, Alex, who were mm-hmm. instrumental. And so that was my that was my start in the business. That was a little over 40 years ago. Okay. And, and you said it took you a few years. I mean, what was Isla Vista like uh, back in those days? I, mean, I know it's crazy when I visited. What was it like in the 70s? I can I'm, imagine I'm it was a sure fun time. I'm not, I've, I've been back a few times because I, I did... <laughs> You know, college basketball for many years and, and 
Uh -huh. I worked for played games there and then we had a reunion of sorts and I was back there about eight or nine years ago I don't think it's changed a whole lot since <laughs> it's still a fun there. time yeah. yeah it was it, and I really enjoyed the school I really enjoyed the uh -huh. education there so mm -hmm. uh, I feel pretty good about about graduating from Santa Barbara Okay. Yeah. And uh, a few, a uh, couple of weeks ago, I heard you on the radio telling a story about uh, your dad. Actually, I think told you it's like the Dodgers used to practice on Catalina Island during spring training or something like that. And um, do you kind of miss that, that old, I mean, I know you weren't alive for that era, but I mean, do you kind of miss like that old school feel of uh, baseball? Do you feel like it's kind of too corporate now? Do you feel like it's so big? It's you're kind of not as, as close to the players as you used to be kind of a thing. I guess you could say that about society in general. Yeah. And we all get nostalgic a little bit when we reach a certain age, but <laughs> I know it's hard to, it's hard to compare anything to these days because we're doing so many things over zoom now. Yeah. And I, we're all looking forward to the day when we can actually get back down on the field and the A's might have players, two or three players on their club this year. I've never met. Mm -hmm. So I think Alex, it's hard to compare anything to what's going on now, yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I grew up in a simpler, I mean, it was, it was Listen, I'm pushing 70 now. So <laughs> it was a different time for sure when I was a kid. Yeah, but I mean, how cool is it that baseball and radio are still relevant after all these technology changes? It's still like I, I, I particularly like the past couple of days. I've just I've been busy, but I've been able to listen to it. And for me, baseball on the radio is still a great art. You know, it's I think it's always kind of it's kind of survived all of this technology. It's still there. How cool is that? You know? Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I think that there's all there will always be a place for baseball on the radio mm -hmm. I I think so too. Yeah. because it's the summer game and because it's a game that's played almost every day that you can follow every day and the days are longer in the summer people are out barbecuing or they're out driving later in the day and so I think there's kind of a you know there's a romance to baseball on the radio that I think still exists with mm -hmm. um people who really enjoy the, the medium and we try to change the game so much and it, it has changed a lot with analytics and shifting and all the things that have taken place so there's there's a certain morphing that's that's taken with, with any sport but at its core is still the same game right it's still 60 feet six inches from mm -hmm. the pitcher's mound to home plate it's still 90 feet to get around the bases so as much as we try to think that it's changed a lot a lot of it has stayed the same too. Mm -hmm. And do you listen to, um, to like, I don't know, how cool is it to listen to Dom now? I guess like the next generation of broadcasters, you know, Dom and Vince, they get to work together. He's the next, he's 26 now and he's coming up the ranks. I mean, how cool is that to just hear, you know, the next generations of, of callers, especially Dom, I guess. What's it, what's it like to listen to Dom? Yeah, and Vince? Dom Catronio, Vince's son, he does a really good job. And I've known him for, since he was almost basically born. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he does a really good job. And the thing that I really appreciate about what Dom is doing, and I work with a lot of young broadcasters and try to help them out, is that he, he has been so influenced by watching TV that he's lost the fundamentals and mechanics of doing radio. Because of the the kind of the dominance of television as a medium, uh, a lot of aspiring broadcasters don't really grasp the nuances of the differences between the two mediums. Sure. And Dom really knows how to do radio, so I appreciate that. Yeah, cool. And uh, 
and and also I, re- I remember i was actually just reading the bill king book again just thumbing through it again and i was reading this funny story that you told about uh in 1981 meeting warren spawn and not knowing who he was you know uh I, i'm kind of curious uh yeah, yeah i mean i knew who he was i just didn't recognize <laughs> or like him. yeah I, I guess uh, you, you shook his hand you're like oh my god this is warren spawn you know so well, that was uh, yeah those are the cool things about yeah. going down to spring training when you work in the minor leagues because i went i was my first job in in uh, working in baseball, as you said, was in '81 when the Angels had their mm-hmm. single A club up in uh, Roner Park at Roner Park Stadium, which is no longer. Mm-hmm. It's a Costco there now. And <laughs> yeah. I wandered out. I went down to Phoenix, and I wandered out to a backfield where they said the single A players were working out, and it was very informal. There was nobody around. Mm-hmm. Kind of a dusty old you know yeah. backfield single a guys are back there and i remember sitting down next to this older gentleman who's kind of weathered looking and <laughs> um he wasn't particularly you know dapper and he didn't look that official to me when i when i saw him kind of relaxed uh, attire for the day and i started a conversation with him and i introduced myself to him and he said nice to meet you i'm warren spawn and I felt terrible. I mean, because, you know, I watched him pitch yeah. when I was a kid. And you think about all the wins and that great battle with Marshall uh, over a candlestick. And and mm-hmm. so, yeah, those are the kind of things that you kind of happen upon uh, when you're working in the minor leagues. Yeah. And I'm curious, I mean, who are some other greats from another generation that um, maybe not be, you know, maybe not be alive or somebody you felt really lucky that you were able to meet, um, you know, a few decades ago. Is there any other people like Warren Spahn? Like, um, you know, I'm trying to Those think. Are great uh, questions because there were times in a, when I was working in AAA in Phoenix. Alex, I spent five full years working in AAA and the mm-hmm. first two years were with the Phoenix Firebirds, the Giants AAA club in Mm-hmm. 86 and 87 and Jimmy Lefevre was our manager and that was a phenomenal experience he was great to work with uh the most energy of anybody I've ever been around so he was a huge influence from that standpoint for me because I'd never done a full season in AAA before but he was part of the all switch hitting infield when I was a kid with the Dodgers and he was rookie of the year in the mid-60s so he had Parker Lefevre Wills and Gilliam and all of a sudden, the fever is my first AAA manager. And then you had guys that would come out. Willie Mays would come out and McCovey because of the association with the Giants. People like Bob Feller. Uh, Bob Feller supplemented his income by touring around the minor league ballparks. And I had Feller uh, on the broadcast for an inning. Yeah. Henry Aaron came on one time when I was doing a game up in Vancouver. That's great. That's awesome. So you do wind up face to face with your idols and, and that just, and it's also, I think it builds up a reservoir of knowledge, I guess, of things to refer to as you move on in your career that I've always said this, you can always learn things, even if you're working in the, in single A ball, and hopefully you take some of those things with you as you, uh, you build your career. I mean, I mean, how cool is that that you're connected to that generation, but you're also covering Matt Chapman and Matt Olson, you know, I mean, I, I mean, how cool is that to see, you know, the, just this new, this new wave of super talented athletic, you know, freaks, you know, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. It keeps you young. It yeah. really does. It keeps you young. And I appreciate uh-huh. what they've done and their, their skills. And over the years, I've been really fortunate because the A's have had good, good teams. Mm-hmm. 
11 times in the postseason beginning in 2000. So they've figured out a way to keep it going. And I've really enjoyed watching those guys play. And even though we do everything by Zoom, one thing we've done during spring training this year, and I only did seven games down there, seven home games, is that the A's were great to set up with a headset down in the dugout. And we talked to players during the games, which we had never done before. And that was really kind of a cool thing. And they were really accommodating and, and insightful, I think. We got interviews that went beyond just the basic kind of stock answers, Alex. Yeah, yeah. So that was a, a fun part of it. Good guys as well, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm curious to go back to talking uh, more about your your time with uh, the Redwood Pioneers at Roanoke Park. Because was that like your first dedicated baseball uh, baseball gig? Because I know you were doing some high school sports and stuff like that before. But was that your first full-time yeah. baseball gig? Concurrent yeah. to that, we did high school games. That was one of the great things, again, to go back to working at KTOB, Alex, yeah. was yeah. that not only I, I was hosting a talk show, I played records, I hosted. Oh, cool. So you were doing everything. Yeah. News, yeah. Uh, co-hosted election coverage, which was a really exciting thing to do. I'm not sure anything's kind of, I mean, there are other things that have matched it, but not, there's very few things to get your adrenaline going mm-hmm. more than being on the air on election night. If you're kind of a political junkie like I am, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but they also did KTOB covered the high schools in Petaluma, Casa Grande and Petaluma High and St. Vincent High and then Rancho Catati High up in Roner Park. Mm-hmm. And we did bat- all the basketball games. We did all the football games for those schools and then did the baseball games. So we would go out in the afternoon and sit in the bleachers with a cassette recorder. <laughs> you'd be sitting by yourself or maybe you'd have somebody with you with a cassette recorder and record the game. And then we would take the cassette back to the studio that night and play it back at seven o'clock at night. So that's awesome. That's great. I, yeah. I, so yeah. I was doing that while I was doing the uh, minor league games. Like I said, we did like 27 games in 81. Mm-hmm. I did a full season of minor league uh, baseball for the pioneers in 84, which was a great team, incredible uh, team full of stars that you, people you've heard of. And then in, in actually in 82, I started doing Sonoma state. Mm-hmm. So I did uh, back then they were known as the Cossacks. So oh, I, did, I didn't know that. <laughs> I did uh, Sonoma state football and basketball for three years, beginning in 82. Mm-hmm. And with uh, you did San Jose state as well. I mean, right. I mean, uh, so you kind of spent a, uh, almost, it was almost a decade doing basketball and football and college football basketball. Is that right? I, I did 22 full seasons of college basketball. Oh, wow. 22. Okay. Um, yeah. Sonoma State. And then UNLV as well, NLV right? State, and then I did the Rebels for 12 years. Ah, okay. Yeah. And I did, I think, 12 years or 14 years of college football. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you, do you like, uh, I mean, I know there's like a really heavy difference between, you know, calling football, basketball, or baseball. Uh, do, do you have a preference? I mean, I know you're doing baseball now, but... <laughs> Yeah, and that was just kind of serendipitous that it turned out that baseball would be the my career, I guess, or um, would take up the bulk, the, the bulk of my time and especially the thing that I would be focused on the most, Alex. But I never differentiated. So when I was doing all three, I never focused on one at the expense of the other. And I never knew if the break would come or if a break would come in one sport or the other. So I tried to focus on all three 
I can't tell you, and I've been asked a million times, of course, did I enjoy one sport over another? <laughs> I yeah. think I enjoyed them all. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't find one to be more difficult than the other. They were all either equally difficult or equally uh -huh. not that hard to me. So I really tried to focus on all three. Okay. And did you feel like you kind of settled into baseball though, once you got into the PCL with Phoenix and Las Vegas? Um... Not necessarily because I was still doing football and basketball. Oh, yeah. really? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I did basketball. I stopped doing football when I got hired by the A's in 96, because it would, it would be really hard because the college football season, as you know, begins around Labor Day or even in late August now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I didn't feel comfortable trying to go back and forth doing football then after I'd got hired by the A's. But I did uh, UNLV basketball for the first 10 years that I did um, the A's. So I was doing doing both sports Oh wow! at that point. Yeah. So but once once Bill passed away, then I thought it's really time to focus on on baseball. Mm -hmm. And that was the best avenue for me career-wise at that point. It was pretty cl clear that that was the direction my career was going. But I felt really fortunate mm -hmm. to be able to have, you know, had the chance to do the other sports as well. Yeah, and, and what was it like to get that call from the A's in 1996? And you're replacing a legend like Lon Simmons. I'm sure there's a lot of pressure involved there. I mean, what, what was that like to, to get that call? It was a big thrill because, and I would have taken a job if it had been to Philadelphia or Cleveland or whatever. And I'd been working part-time for the White Sox, as you know. Yeah, yeah. Just commuting to wherever, to wherever they were playing for four years on the weekends for the first 20 weeks of the season. But uh, to have it in my adopted hometown was really special. And I think that might have been one reason why I got the job, that I had had a history of working in the market. And the fact that I'd grown up listening to Bill, I think they might have felt that uh, the chemistry between Bill and me might be might have a chance to work be, because of that. But it was a it was a real thrill to get that call for sure. Yeah, and, and when did you first hear Bill on the radio? I mean, you said it was when you were a kid growing up, uh, listening to the Raiders games or the Warriors. I guess the Warriors games. And yeah, like I guess it was probably. 1964, 65, somewhere in there, mm -hmm. I guess. And, and what was that like once you're all of a sudden you're in the booth and you're looking over and here's, here's Bill King right next to you. You know, how cool is that? Yeah. So. There were some of these deja vu moments <laughs> where like something incredible would happen in an A's game. And then Bill would deliver the, the exclamation point with Holy Toledo. And I'd flash back on something that had happened 30 years before that. So uh -huh. it was, it was, it was, um, it's pretty cool from that standpoint, for sure. Yeah, and, and you he was just so good at calling all the games, right? I mean, it sounds like uh, I, I wasn't really old enough to hear his Raiders calls and his Warriors calls, but uh, I mean, it sounds like he, especially basketball, he was just really on top of it and really amazing. Incredibly right? detailed and fast and passionate. Yeah. He didn't have a real high regard for the NBA officials, <laughs> which I guess you could say about umpires in Major League Baseball as well, <laughs> Alex, but... Yeah, it was just in everything that he did, he brought this tremendous energy and passion and great detail and painting a picture. Mm -hmm. So he was an amazing basketball announcer and had a huge influence on me from basketball. And you mentioned Chick Hearn, and I could say mm -hmm. that about Chick as well. And he was an amazing football announcer, too. And so many of his calls have been immortalized, Alex, because of NFL films and all the, yeah, yeah. the Super Bowls, the Raiders, old man Willie. You know, and the holy roller and, and things like that. So he was incredible at those sports. So he and and I think even though 
he did 25 years with the A's and is in the Hall of Fame. He got the Frick Award. I think his baseball, to some people, might even be a little underrated, to be honest with you. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, um, and didn't, didn't he actually get fined one time for yelling at the refs or like they you called know, a technical was, uh, on him or something like that? Wasn't there some funny story? Well, there's a chapter in the book about that Mother's Day when he delivered a famous expletive. <laughs> in a game that the Warriors are playing up in Seattle, he actually didn't get fined. I do believe that the NBA tried to suspend him at <laughs> okay. that point. Yeah. And he also was working with Hank Greenwald, although Hank was on TV that night up in Seattle, known as Mother's Day. And you can draw <laughs> conclusions from that. But Franklin Muley stood up for Bill. Uh, Jay Walter Kennedy was the commissioner of the NBA back then. So... He never got suspended. A lot of people think he got suspended for that, but he actually didn't. And and Franklin had his back and Franklin had his back many times over the years. Okay. Yeah. uh, He has had his back a couple of times (laughs) um, when the uh, major league baseball umpires took a little umbrage with. Really? I didn't, I didn't hear about that. I never knew about that. Like just so, so he would make a call and they would hit him up the next day say, Hey, we heard what you said. Kind of a thing. (laughs) Like that's pretty funny. There were a couple of phone calls that came to the A's front office from the the major league baseball offices in New York. Let's Uh put it that way. That's funny. That's funny. But Bill never knew about it. (laughs) And uh, yeah, no, I protected him when it came to that. Okay. And, uh, and, and I know I've interviewed you, interviewed you a few times over the years about Bill, but I, I don't think I've interviewed you um, since he got into the Hall of Fame with the Ford C. Frick Award. Um, I mean, how cool is that to see that all of his hard work was uh, recognized finally, and he, he won that award in 2017, and he's in the Hall of Fame. And the only bittersweet aspect of it was that it was posthumous, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for his fans and his associates and people with the A's, and especially his family, and his daughter, Kathleen, delivered a phenomenal acceptance speech at Cooperstown. And my wife, Denise, and I were privileged to be there. It was one of the most magical weekends of my life. Really? And for all of us who were there, it was such a special thing. And Cooperstown itself is this enchanting place. And if, you, you know, if you're drawn to the romance of baseball and the history of it and the traditions of the game, it's such a great place to be, and especially over Hall of Fame weekend and so special and appropriate alex that joe morgan who we lost of course this past year uh was the one who was able to present the the frick award plaque to kathleen up on the stage there Mm -hmm. i thought that was really a cool thing because joe of course growing up in oakland had grown up listening to bill and bill had had a profound influence on him and so that was it was really a it it was an unforgettable weekend for sure yeah, it really meant a lot yeah because it's got the little main street I, I went there once when i was like 13 or something like that i just remember there was like a little main street and all these little candy stores and it seems like an old small town america kind of feel to it you know it's you hit your cool. past comes alive too when you're because yeah. we we were we were lucky enough that we were kind of on the inside because of the relationship with bill mm-hmm. and so we could go to the otisaga hotel and have lunch there and that's where the hall of famers would hang out up on the balcony you've heard all those those stories every time you turn around you'd you'd see yeah, someone famer, yeah <laughs> you'd see someone from your past who was coming to life right before your eyes and and so what is that like when you listen to somebody for years for decades and then and then you you get to work alongside them i mean uh well you know. it was it was unique I, I think i had a pretty good idea of i didn't know for sure because bill 
Phil was a pretty complex guy. <laughs> yeah. And he had myriad interests. He was, you know, off the charts in terms of his intellect and all the things that he was immersed in in his life, but mm -hmm. had a decent idea of what made him tick. And so I think that might have eased the transition a little bit because I had spent so much time listening to him. So what he did was not foreign to me. Mm -hmm. And he was great to me, Alex, from the first day. And it could have been a daunting thing. And it was somewhat replacing Lon, who was also one of my idols. And mm -hmm. like I said, the Bill and, Bill and Lon pairing was one of the greatest radio pairings in the history of baseball. So, But Bill eased the transition by being so gracious to me. And I've always owed him a huge debt for that. Yeah, and... and um... What is it? Uh, do, you, do you miss uh, more? Like, I'm sure working with him is great, but do you kind of just miss those dinners, those car rides with Bill? Is it more that that, that you kind of miss just just kind of getting to know him and his interesting personality? Is that? Yeah, and I love the partners that I have now, but it's <laughs> yeah. I think that yeah. there are times when you now we're not traveling now, but there were there would be times on the team bus after a game where we would just get on the bus and you just shooting the breeze with Bill mm -hmm. and he'd be there and I'd be, he'd sit in one seat. I'd be across the aisle with him and just having those conversations with him and being around him and, and the friendship that developed, I think mm -hmm. I miss that as much as I miss doing the games with him. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can kind of replace doing a game with someone, but it's really hard to replace the a friendship when it runs that deep. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I read um, he was, was he fluent in Russian or like pretty close to he it? And, fluent, but he gave it a try. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he, he worked with Tom Meshery, right? He or was like... possible. He was passable. Yeah. yeah Thomas Sherry, the great warrior sure. forward who went to St. Mary's. I'm from Moraga. Yeah. yeah we all, right. we know all about him. Yeah. He yeah. was like <laughs> one of the first legendary athletes at, at St. Mary's. And of course had a great career with the Warriors. They retired his number while he was still actually playing in the NBA, they became best friends. They were like brothers. Oh, wow. And okay. so through the, the Mashiri influence, Bill became fascinated with all things Russian, including Russian history and trying to learn the language. So he was, you know, he had, he had a huge interest in, in anything that related to, to Russia. Yeah, ballet and stuff like that too, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, well, he was a big aficionado, of course, of the ballet and the opera and jazz music and fine wine. And <laughs> he was a bon you vivant. Could, huh? <laughs> you, could go, you could go on and on. And most people are, are aware of that. But that was one yeah. of the things that was so great about, about working with him and spending time with him because it was an education. Mm -hmm. Going out to dinner with Bill, I, you, you almost had to take a number just to wait in line to be able to go out. <laughs> The dinner with him when we were on the road because so many of the the, the media the, the beat writers who would travel with us and members of the tv crew they were like me that they had grown up listening to bill they were all kind of in awe of him mm -hmm. and so the dinners were like a real trip down memory lane with him mm -hmm. if you got him going on people like chamberlain or rick berry or blanda or things like that, <laughs> it was really <laughs> And, um, and what was that process like, <clears throat> excuse me, what was that process like uh, writing that book? Uh, how, how long did that take you? And um, you must have talked to a bunch of people, you know, I mean, what, what was that? Uh, I mean, I, I've, I would assume writing a book's a lot of work, you know? <laughs> it's challenging. Yeah. It is. I had a lot of help from uh, Steve Ketman, who published the book and also served 
as one of the editors of the book, along with Pete Danko, who did a great job as an editor as well. So they were really supportive. And Steve really knew Bill well, because Steve was on the ace beat for the Chronicle back in the mid 90s. So he, there was some real insight that he could offer. And Pete had listened to, to Bill a lot. So they were extremely helpful. And I didn't know what, what form the book would take, Alex, when I set out on the project. But as it turned out, because we tried to focus on all facets of his life and also the teams that he worked for, the three major teams here in the Bay Area, the, you know, the three major league teams, the, the, the A's, the Warriors, and the, the Raiders. Mm-hmm. But I kind of thought maybe to, maybe to frame the book in a way that it would be a little bit of a Bay Area sports history. That's yeah. the way I felt as I was getting into it, because I was interviewing so many of these icons, like John Madden, for instance, was just really gracious with his time. It was such a, a fun interview and, and enlightening mm-hmm. to do. And I've said this before, but after I finished the interview, like with Rick Barry, people like that, when I finished the interview, I was so energized to write yeah. because of the... We all know about Bill's passion, but the people that he had made such a huge mark in this market and had been, had left, left such a mark on the people that I interviewed that they were passionate talking about him. So I just couldn't wait to write. Once I yeah. hung up the phone, I couldn't wait to write another chapter or try to write a few pages about the interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the name of the book is Holy Toledo, Lessons from Bill King, Renaissance Man of the Mic. Make sure you guys get it if you guys haven't got it before. Um, and I'm curious, do you, do you have any particularly, um, I mean, those A's teams in the early 2000s were really good. Um, you know, the, the big three era and all that stuff. Uh, is there any particularly memorable call that you guys had or he made or you made or just some cool moment in the booth uh, that you guys shared that, that, that kind of sticks out from that era? Well, we've tried. It's it's pretty hard to quantify the best calls because it's such a subjective thing, as you know, mm-hmm. Alex. Yeah. But I think we've tried to list them. And Vince Catronio and I have sat down a couple of times to try to, for pregame shows or features, and for the book that I wrote with Susan Slusser, mm-hmm. maybe to list his best calls. I don't. I don't know. I'm, the Giambi is the man. Home run call off Mike. <laughs> I think really stands out, but there were quite a few. Obviously, the Hatterberg home run for the 20th game mm-hmm. was the punctuation to his career, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're all so thrilled that that call will live on forever in the movie and in Moneyball. So those are two that I think stand out for mm-hmm. me right now, but I could probably go on and on. Yeah, uh, I think I think I also a remember... Surprise reigns supreme, the Herman, Her, Ramon Hernandez walk-off bun against the Red uh, Sox. There are a lot of them, right? Yeah, I remember his, I think it was 2000. I think Jason Isringhausen struck out somebody looking to end the, he's like, strike, strike three, three call, call, the A's win the West or something That's like right. that. I think I remember that exactly, one. Well. Yeah, it was yeah. succinct, but it was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you also mentioned, yeah, so you also co-authored the book, If These Walls Could Talk uh, with Susan Slusser a couple of years ago. What's that, what was that like to work with Susan? I mean, she's just such a wealth of knowledge. She's, like an encyclopedia of A's history at this point, you know. What's what yeah, is we that miss like? her? We miss yeah. her too. I didn't get a chance yeah. to see her in spring training, which I normally would yeah, do. it's too bad. Yeah, dinner yeah. a couple of times down there. Yeah. Wish her well with the Giants and Matt. That's Stewart. weird, right? Isn't that just isn't that just yeah. kind of weird to see Susan tweeting about the Giants? <laughs> Probably a little dip, little jarring for A's fans. Yeah, Matt's doing a great job though. He'll do a great job. Uh-huh. Uh, but we had a lot of fun doing the book. Uh-huh. 
And it was really fun to collaborate with someone. I certainly did not have the energy, Alex, to do a solo project again, like the yeah. Bill King book. I'm so sure, yeah, I'm sure it's a have lot. someone yeah. to lean on and work on a project like that because she has so much A's knowledge too and so many connections that mm-hmm. that was a lot of fun working with her. Yeah, and so what do you think about this year's this year's team? I mean, they're they're looking pretty good. For me, it kind of looks like the same as last year. You know, just get the ball to the bullpen. You probably got a good shot at winning. Uh, what do you think about this year's squad? You, th- you think that they're, they're looking pretty good again? Or? Yeah, I do. I like the team. Spring training can be the great illusion. So oh, sure. I try yeah. to <laughs> a lot of, you know, a lot of weight on what happens in the spring. What does matter to me is how they look physically. Like a, like a Jed Lowry, we had Jed, no yeah. idea what he was going to look like. Yeah. You know, he was basically at like the, the end of the earth during his time. That's <laughs> how do you resurrect someone from that? But he looks great. And he's going to be their starting second baseman opening night. Mm-hmm. So I was, I really, those are the things you really look for in the spring. So, and I'm a, I'm a terrible prognosticator, but I think they all believe that they have a contending club. They all believe they can win the division and get back to the postseason. And there's no reason to doubt that. Yeah, and another recent development is just the way that Cole Irvin and Dalton Jeffries and AJ Puck. I mean, each of these guys within the past week, they pretty much pushed, pitched as well as you could have uh, in a high pressure situation. So, what, what do you think about that depth that kind of was developed uh, this spring? Especially, I really, uh, I thought Dalton had the leg up because he pitched really well last time out. Now, as we're recording this, he's pitching today against the Giants. Uh-huh. But then Cole Irvin pitched a great game, and then AJ just pitched a great game. So it's nice to have those options. Yeah. And uh, I have no idea what they're going to do. I, I had thought that Jeffries was the front runner. He may still be. They all have options. I believe Cole Irvin has one option. As this year would be his last option year. So mm-hmm. they could go down. It's a little more complicated because of the alternate site situation. Mm-hmm. So you can't just send a guy down to AAA and know he's going to pitch in a game every fifth day. I know they'll work that out and they'll build up their arm strength and the the pitch counts and they can play games against the giants against Sacramento while the ace players are down in stock and won't quite be the same, but I'm pretty comfortable with, with whatever choice they make. I think it'll be a pretty good choice. Yeah. And, and I'm curious, how is your, um, you know, uh, in normal times, pretty much every home game, you'd always be sitting there interviewing Melvin with your, you know, doing the bow mail show before the game. Um, do you have to do that over Zoom now, or are you going to be able exactly, to sit, da- sit exactly down? Exactly the way you and I are doing this interview. Man, that's too bad. It's so that's too bad. You can't just sit next to him on the dugout bench, huh? It's, well, we're not part of that tier. Yeah. And we understand why yeah. and the way things have been separated. So it's pretty much the way it was last year. It'll be the yeah. same thing this year. So uh-huh. all the interviews are done over Zoom. I'll either do them right here from our kitchen table. <laughs> in uh pleasanton or i'll do it from the booth at the coliseum and we're not going to travel to start the season there is some hope that we might be able to travel during the second half but Mm -hmm. we'll continue to do the road games off the tv monitor and we're going to be separated again as far as our setup at the coliseum Mm -hmm. i'll be in the visiting tv booth and vince will be in the home radio booth and i think that glenn and ray and in dallas We'll have a similar setup this year to what they had last year. Oh, okay. Oh, that's that's too bad because I know Melvin is pretty superstitious. It seems like wherever you guys are sitting and doing that show also has an, an outcome, an effect on the outcome of the game or something like that, you know? So <laughs> you, hate, you hate to think that we had any influence on that. 
he does have a certain superstitions. Well, actually, what he says is he says, I'm not superstitious, but just in case. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so that's pretty we'll fun. still do it. It'll be just it'll be a little bit different. But he's been he's been great and so generous with his time, as you know, because you've covered him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I pretty much started covering the team in uh, actually his first year. I started covering the team in Jane Lee's first year in 2010. So that's when he, um, or 2011. Yeah. I don't know. This is when he took over. So yeah. yeah the last year with Bob Guerin. Yeah, but he, yeah. He is phenomenal with the media. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think great. he really understands the importance of the relationship with the press and he tries to give people something good every day. So yeah, he's great. Yeah, he he knows. He definitely knows. Yeah, and I mean, how much have you it's enjoyed? Great, it's great when it's great when someone in a leadership position has that uh, feel for those other aspects of their job. Yeah, he he yeah he gets it. He for sure gets it. He yeah, gets it. Yeah, great. yeah. I mean, no, I mean, great to work with. Yeah, I mean, how cool is? I mean, he's been here. This is a uh, year eleven for him coming up. I mean, I, I I was surprised to read he's the second longest tenured manager in A's history behind Connie Mack. I mean. How, how much of a pleasure has it to been uh, to get to know Bob over these you know past decade, I guess. Yeah. And if he manages 40 more years, he could catch. <laughs> yeah, he's almost there. <laughs> it's been great because you don't want to have trepidation going into an interview. Because and he and I have talked about this before. If something is really important going on with the ball club, oftentimes he's it, he is in the role of the spokesperson for the team at that point when he's on the air doing pregame shows. And there may be things that go on that go beyond why did you hit and run in the fourth inning? Why did you hit for so-and-so? <laughs> yeah. And questions that to some people, managers or coaches, they might be a little guarded or defensive or not understand that, you know, I understand that you may have to temper your couch, your answer in a certain way. There are things you, you can't say, and I understand that, things they have to say in the clubhouse or their privacy issues, but I still have to ask the question. I still have an obligation to ask the question. Mm -hmm. And he understands that. He says, I may not be able to give you a complete answer, yeah. but I, I understand that you have to ask the question. Mm -hmm. And so when someone has an understanding of, of our role, I think it makes it all the, the more worthwhile to have that opportunity to work with that person. Yeah, and it seems like he just he's he's always he just really likes interesting stories. It seems like he's always drawn to kind of little quirky storylines and stuff like that. Too. He, he kind of lights up when you ask him a out of the ordinary question, you know. I hope so. I yeah. mean, <laughs> to him, it might be drudgery every day to do that thing, but he's. Yeah. And I can say that about you know starting with Art Howe, it was great. And, mm -hmm. You know, my first year in '96, so. Mm -hmm. And, and you mentioned Jed. I mean, how, how great is it to see Jed back uh, help? I mean, just most of all healthy and he's playing second base. I mean, it's got to be that's kind of, he's about to turn 37. I mean, it's pretty cool, right? It's a pretty cool story there. To me, it looks like he's never left. Yeah. And Bo Mel, I think, was pleasantly surprised from that standpoint as well. Mm -hmm. And he he's really a good player. Mm -hmm. He's played his best and he's been the healthiest with the A's. And we, know, we don't know what's going to happen over the course of the year. I mean, knock on wood, he stays healthy. But plus, I was concerned about his timing after being gone for two years. Really, mm -hmm. he only had, what, seven at-bats in two years yeah. Yeah. for the Mets. But he looks like he's in midseason form. It looks like he hasn't missed a beat. Yeah, he, it's and classic you, swing. He's got that it's just same right. old swing. Yeah, yeah. And when sure. you have him from both sides of the plate and when you can bat him second, and there may be times when he bats lower, but having him bat second ahead of their really big guns, I've always thought that he was the prototypical 
number two hitter. So really, it really lengthens the lineup out yeah. as well. Yeah, they're. I mean, on paper, their lineup looks great. Like you know, one through nine, they could run out some really, really good lineups out there this year. You know. Um, yeah, the addition of Mitch Moreland and everything mm -hmm. changed for the club and the franchise when they were able to consummate the Elvis Andrews and Chris Davis deal, mm -hmm. and that changed everything. It gave them some financial flexibility and freedom to do some other things this year, and I really think it gave the fan base a boost. I think it was really beneficial. From that standpoint, because people were wondering if they were going to make some moves or if it would be a quiet offseason. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, at the tail end of the offseason, they, you know, there are these, these, the, the flurry of moves mm -hmm. that they executed, which really helped the club. Yeah. And, and the guys they added to, like, they're bona fide big leaguers, you know, the guys like Elvis and Mitch, uh, Mitch Moreland, Sergio Romo, Trevor Rosenthal. I mean, how much does it, um, like, yeah, they're great in, uh, great on the field, but how much do you think that? adding four guys like that helps the locker room kind of just, you know, legitimize this, uh, this feeling like, all right, we got a winner here or something like that. You know, how much does that help? And I think they were drawn like Moreland was a free agent and he was signed. He was drawn to sign with the A's because he'd had a lot of experience playing against the A's and was intrigued by that and being with a winning club and a winning culture and don't sleep on Aramis Garcia. Yeah. I think he's going to be great too. He's yeah. going to be the yeah. backup catcher. Yeah. And he wasn't just a throw in in the deal because the A's had to give up Jonah Heim in the deal, mm -hmm. but they've always liked Aramis Garcia, even back to his days at, uh, at FIU at Florida international. He was the oh, number wow, two okay. pick of the giants. So he was a, he was prospect. You know, he backed up Buster Posey there for a while, had some injuries. So he's, I think he has a chance to be a really good backup catcher mm -hmm. and in tandem with Sean Murphy, that's a pretty good, pretty good young tandem there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think also this could be a great breakout year for Ramon as well. I think uh, Ramon is kind of primed to to go to another level. I mean, everybody knows about his defense, but uh, I think he had a couple doubles and or he had a double and a triple yesterday. Do, do you feel like this could be a really good breakout year for him as well? I wouldn't be surprised if he was an All Star this year. Oh yeah. wow! Okay, yeah. I think he was on his way to a great year last year, mm -hmm. and then he really fell off. And whether it's a coincidence or not, but after the little imbroglio that he had with the Astros and had the suspension yeah. it really seemed to stall his momentum looking back on last year or so mm -hmm. no I think he has a chance to be a great player not just a good player mm -hmm. I think he has a chance to be a great player okay and I also think another x factor is Steven Piscotti you know if he if he can come back and kind of bring his levels of production he I think he had a back-to-back -back homers a couple of days ago uh, if he can get back to that 2018 level his first year on the A's I think he had 26 homers that year I think that's just like another guy. I mean, if you plug him in seventh or eighth in the lineup, he's hitting 20 homers a year. That would be crazy, you know? I mean, he was one of the best uh, yeah. right fielders in the American League during the second half that year that you mentioned. So mm -hmm. I think it's a really big year for him to reestablish himself. Now, he did have the cortisone shot in his wrist during the spring. Yeah, but that's too bad. Back and it appears that he's okay. So yeah. big for him. And I think it's, uh, I think keeping Elvis Andrews healthy is a, going to be a real big key for the ball club this year as well he mm -hmm. looks really good down there mm -hmm. as you know his his year was derailed last year because of the back injury but he's he's been healthy so far and mm -hmm. i don't care if he plays 150 games if he plays 135 games i'm cool with it yeah as long as he's healthy for those games this year yeah um yeah definitely i mean so yeah, that's pretty much all i got i mean are, are you just excited to get back to the coliseum for all of its quirks and all of its uh <laughs> you know? I have fans there alex yeah because 
And on a personal note, A's fans have been so great to me. There's no way I would have survived all these years without support from the fans. So even 11,000 A's fans can make a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be great to feel that energy. And, and A's fans are passionate about this club. And so to have them back at the ballpark is uh, kind of, it's going to be kind of a moving experience, I think, on Thursday. Yeah, I, actually, I, I happen to have the day off, so I just decided, you know, I'm just going to go as a fan and just enjoy baseball, not work, and just go to a game and enjoy it. You know, so I'm, I'm looking forward to going there opening night as well. Well, there are a lot of people feel just like you. It's <laughs> being able to go to the game. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we're all looking forward to, to getting back out there this year. Awesome, Ken. Awesome, Ken. Well, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. It's always an honor to interview you. Thank you so much. It was great. Great to, to learn so much, too. It was a great time. Well, thanks for thanks for having me, man. Man, Ken is the coolest. I, I know he joked when I dropped the legend on him at the beginning of the interview, but it's true. He really is a legend. Uh, absolute honor to talk to him. He's been super gracious with me over the years. So thanks again to Ken Korak for joining the Ricky Henderson podcast. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ricky Block. Yeah, opening day is just a few days away here. Hopefully you guys are in the stadium. If not... Hopefully you guys are listening, or hopefully you're in the stadium and you're listening. You get both best of both worlds. So yeah, um, your host Alex Espinoza. Thanks again for listening to the GOAP, the greatest of all podcasts, the Ricky Henderson of podcasts.